Well, hey, happy birthday, Fair Oaks. We are officially a senior citizen. Uh, now, some of you from those woos and laughter, I can tell that made you feel much younger. Uh, uh, others of you, that thought might have given you back pain, but it didn't stop you from wooing, which is just awesome. And look, I know there's some of you in between that didn't give a woo that you're like, that is way too close to home. Don't even say that. Uh, but however you hear that number, 65 years, I was testing that there. However you hear that, <laughs> uh, however you hear that number, this is a big milestone that I've been eager to celebrate with you, uh, and I'll tell you why. Um, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be launching into uh, a new season of ministry here. Uh, we're going to be rolling out a, a fresh vision for what it looks like to join Jesus on his mission in Diablo Valley in this really, uh, uh, shall we call it, unique time in which he has placed us here. Um, and the initial plan was actually to roll that out today on our birthday. There's a certain excitement in the room, and so we thought, let's get it out there when there's excitement. But somewhere over the last year, um, as we've been praying and just thinking and dreaming about, God, what do you have for us next as a church? Something that um, I've realized is it's very easy to have a human-sized vision for a church. Um, I think that's especially true uh, when you're established and have your own building. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I've had days over the last year uh, where my vision for the church is, hey, maybe, maybe we'll be able to consistently meet indoors. <sighs> And, um, and, and, you know, like there is that hope, like, man, would love to see this building fill up again. It's so good to see so many of you here today. Um, and I think I personally, um, maybe it's the charismatic in me, just feels like, man, if you guys are feeling really crazy, it'd be awesome to see these woos catch on, maybe some amen, so I know I'm not preaching alone here. Uh, there you go, just like that. And so these are some of like my thoughts as, as I'm going through, but then, then the Holy Spirit brings this to mind. Like, is that really what Jesus had in mind when he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't be able to stop it? Uh, I mean, hear me. I, I think all those are good things. I love that one of you said amen just right now. Like we're catching on. Some of you took notes right there. That's okay too. I know we're Baptist. One of you said amen. But th that's the thing. Like these are all good things to be able to meet indoors. Um, that by God's grace, we might see people fill this place again and hear about Jesus. That we might say amen and interact and know we're not alone. Um, but I don't think that's the fullness of what Jesus had in mind when he said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. See, that statement that we started our service with, that's what I believe a God-sized vision is. Something that can only be explained by the fact that Jesus isn't dead, that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is at work through his people, and that is a God-sized vision. And um, I don't know how often you think about this, but that's what the Christian life is meant to be. That if you are a Christian, you have been given a supernatural life. Something that can't be explained simply by you and where you were born and the gifts and talents you were given, though God will use all of those things. Your life has now been defined by Christ, what you've been given in him, the Holy Spirit indwelling you, God working through you to bring about his purposes in the world in this place. And that's what our churches are meant to be, um, groupings and outposts of this reality, that Jesus is alive, that new creation is on the march, that we have a hope uh, that is an anchor for the soul, and our churches are really meant to be outposts of this reality. And look, I, I know that could sound like youthful idealism to you. You might be guessing this. I haven't been here all 65 years. I haven't even been on planet Earth for 65 years. 
So you might be thinking that sounds like youthful idealism to you, but I will tell you this. As you look back over the story of Fair Oaks Church, um, what you realize is this is exactly what God has done here in the past. And so what I thought we would do today on our birthday is that we would look back over the story of our church because I'm convinced the only way that we're going to see these things again in our day is if we ask God for it and we'll only ask God for it if we believe that he can. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look back over the story of our church um, that God might breathe a God-sized vision in each of us for this place, for our lives, for such a time as this. And what the scriptures tell us is that's exactly what reflecting on the works of God in the past are meant to do in us in the present. And and if you're wondering um, how, well, I'm so glad you asked. If you grab a Bible, uh, we'll be in Psalm 48 today. Uh, And what Psalm 48 is, is this is a a poem um, that was written to really help the people of Israel uh, reflect on God's mighty works in their past. Um, And so what we're going to do today is we're going to use this poem um, is our guide. The book of Psalms is roughly around the halfway point of your Bible, um, Psalm 48. And and this is a poem that they would sing together to remind themselves of what God has done. And we're going to use this poem as a guide to thinking about our own story today. Are you ready? All right. I I love it. Birthday uh, excitement is in the air. We're still Baptists, by the way. I love being Baptist. We'll be like charismatic Baptists. I don't know. It's awesome. It's awesome. Happy birthday. Here we go. Psalm 48, starting in verse 1, says this. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. Within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. For behold, kings assembled together. Uh, They came together. As soon as they saw it, though, they were astounded. They were in panic. They took to flight. Trembling took hold of them from there in anguish as of a woman in labor. By the east wind, you shattered the ships of Tarshish. And we have heard, as we have heard, so we have seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, which God will establish forever, Selah. Um, So this poem, it's made up of two parts divided by that word Selah we read at the end of verse 8. That word Selah, it's a Hebrew word that means to just stop and think to take a moment to reflect and ponder. And I point that out because I wonder if some of you are maybe like me, where you're a doer, you like to get stuff done. How many of you kind of fall into that camp? You like to get stuff done. You like to charge the hill. You're ready to rock into the next 65 years. Okay, so for all of us that just raised our hands, um, what the word Selah is, is an invitation to you and to me to slow down, to stop and to think and ponder for a moment. In Psalm 48, by the back half, it will get to action. So for everyone that just raise your hands and you're all like anxious and nervous that we're not talking action yet, uh, Psalm 48 will get us to action. But before we get there, the way we get to action is through Selah, 
through slowing down and pondering and reflecting and thinking. And, and that's what, largely what we're going to do today. Um, the first three verses of the poem uh, really reflect on the good times in Israel's history. And it all kind of centers on the city of Jerusalem, kind of the capital of Israel. Um, now, I don't know your background, but you might hear this psalm and you might think um, that all this talk of the city of God sounds really strange. Um, but to an Old Testament saint, this would have meant everything. Um, long before the coming of Jesus into the world, um, God rescued a people out of slavery um, in the land of Egypt, and he brought them to himself. Uh, some of you have seen the uh, Christian Bale movie. Others of you are like the what movie because you're thinking Charlton Heston. Same story. It's all based on the biblical story. Uh, the biblical story is like those movies, but it's even crazier. God rescues the people of Israel out of Egypt. He brings them into freedom on their own. And when God carries them out of Egypt, he doesn't just leave them there and say, good luck, guys. Hope you don't fall into slavery again. God gives the people of Israel his law, um, which we say this all the time here. His law was not do this so I will love you. He just rescued them because he loved them. His law is all about lining them up with life as it was made to be, saying, here's how you can live a life of freedom. Now that you're free, here's how you can live in a restored relationship with me, your creator, in a restored relationship with your neighbor. This is what flourishing looks like. So he gives them his law, and then he gives them the promised land, this um, place on earth where they could live out God's Torah, his instruction, his law. They could live in relationship with God without the interference of these evil empires that wanted to support suppress the truth of God, to keep the people of God down. And so God gives them the promised land to really be an outpost of his kingdom in our broken world. And at the center of the promised land, he gives them the city of Jerusalem. Now, this city was a huge deal. You might have picked that up from how the psalmist is like, all about the city of God. Um, it, if you know the biblical story, uh, the city of Jerusalem is a big deal because it's a fortress. Um, if you're like, what do you mean by that? You can actually read the story this week. It's in 2 Samuel chapter 5 when um, God raises up King David to take the city of Jerusalem for Israel. You can read the whole story there, but here's a Spark Notes version for today. Um, the city of Jerusalem was important because it was a fortress, which was important because when all the nations around Israel saw them flourishing, living life with God and everything working as it's supposed to be, can you imagine what happened? These nations would look at Israel and go, well, that looks pretty good. Let's go take what they have. Let's go take what they have. And so God gives them this fortress city so that when the nations come, they are defended. So that's why, by the way, the psalmist is like, look at the citadels in this city. I had to Google that this week. If you're like, what's a citadel? You have my permission. Pull out your phone and Google it right now because the visual will just help you. The psalmist is like, look at the citadel. It's so high. We're so protected here. God has done so much for us, bringing us out of slavery, bringing us into this place, and giving us this fortress. And, and, and then in verse 2, um, he, he talks about an even higher moment in Israel's history. So the giving of the promised land was really um, the culmination of all of God's activity to that point. But then something greater happens a generation later when David's son Solomon builds the temple uh, in Jerusalem. Uh, you can read that whole story in uh, 1 Kings, I believe it's chapter 6 to 8. Apparently neglected to put that in my notes, so forgive me if I'm off by a chapter or two. But um, that's what all the talk in the psalm about the holy mountain is about. Was anyone like, what's a holy mountain? 
Like, is that a mountain that doesn't smoke weed while all the other mountains are stoned over there? Like, what? When the world is a holy mountain? Um, see, you've got to understand, uh, the ancient people believed that the gods dwelled on the mountain. Uh, that gods dwelled on mountains, plural. And so by calling the uh, mountain in Jerusalem, Mount Zion, a holy hill, what the psalmist is celebrating is this reality that the God of all gods, the creator of all things, the greatest king of kings, the Lord of lords, has made his dwelling here in the city with us. That's what he's celebrating by calling it a holy hill. He's celebrating um, the building of the temple, the presence of God. So Jerusalem, it's not just great because it's a fortress to protect them from harm. It's also great because God's presence, the creator of all things, is there among them in the temple. And as the psalmist says it, as a result of his presence, there is a joy in Jerusalem that echoes to the ends of the earth. Um, Jerusalem was a great city and, and here's the point in all of this. These are, this reads like a, a greatest hits in Israel's history. King David taking Jerusalem, King Solomon building the temple. The point is, these are the high moments in Israel's history. And what the psalmist is saying is, God, through our high moments, you have made yourself known. Um, if you're the note-taking type, that would be the first point, that God makes himself known through his mighty deeds in history. Psalmist says, your actions in the city have taught us that you are a refuge, that we are safer in you than in the greatest strong tower, that you care for us, that you protect us, and your actions in this city have also taught us that you are the source of all joy. In the greatness of Jerusalem, God has made his greatness known, and it is the same in the story of this church. Um, what I want to do today is um, I want to give you a rough sketch of our story. Um, some of you, maybe many of you are more familiar with the story than I am. And so my hope is that kind of like the psalmist, I can just give like kind of a rough sketch that for those of you who have lived it, this will trigger your memory and refresh your understanding and your remembrance of what God has done and warm your hearts about his faithfulness to us over the past 65 years. Um, and for those of you who are newer, um, what this will do is it'll give you somewhat of an idea of this place that you've walked into. What have I gotten myself into? If you want to sneak out, there's exits in the back, um, I'm, but there's cake afterwards, so you might want to wait till next week. Um, but this will give you an idea of Fair Oaks Church. So it might take me more than three verses because I'm a preacher and I'm not like filled with the Holy Spirit in the same way that someone writing scripture is, though I pray I'm filled with the Spirit right now. Um, so it might take me more than three verses. That's my caveat, okay? Um, let's do it. Rough sketch of Fair Oaks Church. In 1956, Fair Oaks Baptist Church was officially organized in Pleasant Hill, California with 37 members. Um, and I actually, um, about a month ago, found the original charter document. Um, I haven't even been able to frame this yet, but I felt, I felt a little bit like a cross between Indiana Jones and Nick Cage and National Treasure, like digging this thing out of our attic. Uh, but this is the original document that all 37 charter members signed. And I want you to hear in their words um, what they were doing here. What was the purpose to all of this here? And just so you know, there's nothing in magic ink on the back here. Some of you are like, did you really put lemon juice on that? I don't know. Um, here, here's what this says. Um, we, the undersigned, there, there's a long preamble. They're all baptized Christians filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Uh, These are our family in Christ. After the preamble, they say this, We the undersigned do now this day of our Lord, September 13th, 1956, in the presence of God and angels in this assembly, most solemnly and joyfully enter into covenant with one another as one body in Christ. Under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, we dedicate ourselves to the spreading of the gospel at home and abroad. And then they sign their names at the bottom. Yeah, I mean, that's incredible. Like, Joyce said this earlier. I'm going to go put this down so nothing bad happens to this um, because I really intend to frame that. But like, uh, you know, Joyce said earlier, like, uh, she got saved here. Like, many of you have this story that because of that covenant, that commitment that, um, and and did you hear it in there? It wasn't that they dreamed up this idea. They say, we believe that the Holy Spirit of God is leading us to start a new work that can make the gospel known in this community. And by God's grace, that is just what has happened. Um, In 1959, uh, this little group had scraped up enough together to buy two acres of land in an up-and-coming neighborhood on Risden Road, uh, the property you are at right now. Although uh, back in 1959, none of these buildings were here. There were two houses, which you can kind of see the edge in the background here. That was one house, and and they kind of did little church on the prairie for a while. There was uh, one house that was retrofitted for worship and the other house for Sunday school for the children. And, and that is the church in the 50s right there. Um, so to my eye, that looks like maybe a bit more than 37. So that's as the church is growing. But this is the little church on the prairie years. Um, and then in 1961... Uh, The first unit of the current campus is completed, built entirely by the membership of this church. Um, This this is a photo of them working on it right there. And I think that right there is just a miracle. I just want to pause and say, like, if we tried to build uh, a building today, um, and I don't say this to dog you, because I see, like, Chris Halverson's in here. There's some of you that are very talented. But at our last workday, we tried to build a couple of benches, and it didn't go well. (laughs) And, And yet this building is still standing. It's the gym over there. And, and so the membership of the church not only pulled together to get here, but literally started swinging hammers together and built a building where they could invite more people in this up-and-coming neighborhood to come in and hear what's their purpose? The good news, the gospel. And so now with um, some space to invite people into, the church begins to grow and grow and grow as the good news about Jesus is preached in this neighborhood. Um, And and they got like really creative. Some of you might have been here during the 60s and 70s, but it seems like the church got really creative with how to reach people for Jesus. There's so many stories I can tell. But we're going to hear from others later. I'll just tell one. One of my favorite stories is at one point they installed 17 phone lines here in the church where members in the church could come in and just start calling people to share the gospel. And I mean, this is nuts to me, but it worked. Like this was a time in the life of the church where we were seeing 30, 40, 50, 60 baptisms a year. That uh, is, is people are, um, is the church is dreaming and praying, how do we reach people for Jesus? How do we get the good news out? And having 17 phone lines installed to rotate, cold calling people to share the gospel. Jesus is saving people. People are meeting Jesus, receiving new life in his name. And so this church begins to grow and grow and grow as more and more people meet Jesus to the point where, if you can believe it, 
we start packing out this current space. Uh, we, we've got another photo here that shows this is either in the late 70s, early 80s. If any of you know, if any of you were around for this, you can tell me, but it's in that late 70s, early 80s pile where we've now built this building, we've moved into this building, and do you see it? Like, I don't, I hope the fire marshal doesn't see this photo. We're starting to outgrow this space here. And so uh, in 1963, Yes, and excuse me, 1983. Some of you are like, you're going back and forth here. That's just because I'm bad at numbers. So in 1983, um, families coming from the Antioch area were sent out to plant Golden Hills Community Church uh, in the Antioch area under the leadership of an up-and-comer, young, scrappy church planter named Larry Adams and his wife, Carla. And we've got a photo of them here. And some of you know them. You're obviously grateful for their ministry. If you don't know them, this is funny. This picture is funny. That's Larry up in the far left there. Um, because Larry is now the sage, older uh, pastor to all of us young bucks now. Um, now, Carla looks exactly the same today. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but Larry, that mustache, she's got to bring that back. That's excellent. And so, um, and if you don't know the story of Golden Hills, I mean, Google it. Like, I'm going to give you permission. Pull out your phone today. Google it to see they have their own incredible story of God's faithfulness and what he has done there. I mean, what God has done through the families of this church that went out and helped start Golden Hills Church. I mean, that's just another branch off of our story into another incredible story. So we're about, um, help me with my math here, are we about 30 years in at 1983? 20, thank you, Karen. Okay, so we're about 20 years in, and we got to that age where we're starting to have kids, right? We multiply, we send out another church over there, but it's not just other churches. In 1993, so that's now around 30 years, thank you, um, in 1993, um, we started a Chinese ministry right here uh, at Fair Oaks Church to reach out to a new part of our community under the leadership of Peter Lamb. And so you can see this right here. That is um, Pastor Lamb and Pastor Beatty, who is the a senior pastor of Fair Oaks at the time. And that was our church sign right there. Um, now, I happen to have someone in my home who's not only gifted at math, but speaks Chinese and reads Chinese. Uh, and so I asked her, I was like, what does this sign say? Does anybody know what that sign says? She does, that's right. Uh, uh, she had to confer with her mom just to be sure. Um, and her mom, who is a native Chinese speaker, they put them, two of them together. I'm going to bank more on that than Rosetta Stone or Google Translate. What they've said this means, hun, can you remind me? I'm lost in my notes here. Thank you. Conquered House of the Gospel. There it is. So are you sensing a theme here about good news? That is, we plant another church that uh, preaches good news, that when we start a new ministry here in a new language, that we need um, help uh, to even know what the sign says. Thank you, Karen. That the theme, the heartbeat is still the good news. That this is the house of the good news where you could come in a bad news world and hear good news about Jesus. Um, and then this is where the story really gets to me as a 90s skater kid. Um, in 1999, Dion Brooks started a weekly skate park ministry in the parking lot of this church to reach out to little punks like me. Um, and I, I don't know if any of you were saved in that. If you're here and you're like, how dare you? I'm saying you and me, we're the same, right? Like, um, Although these kids look pretty respectable. I didn't look that respectable around that time. Uh, but we started this skate park ministry to reach out to a new part of the community. And 80 kids, regular, I was reading about this in a newspaper clipping, 80 kids would regularly come out to skate, to have fun, and hear about Jesus, which I just think that's great. Because what better way to share good news than to have a good time with the skate park and say, Jesus loves you so much, he made these things. 
And, and so there's, I hope you're getting this picture that it's not any one thing, that there's all, like, we started cold, cold calling people to share the gospel. We set up a skate park. We planted a church. We had another ministry in another language. All of these things kind of come together. Time would frankly fail me um, to tell of all of that God has done in our history here. Um, I could go on and on and on and on. The point I want to make is what started with 37 members has resulted in 838 people being baptized. That is 838 miracles. That is 838 eternities that have been changed. And, and it's, it's not even just 838. It resulted in another church being planted, which has gone on to reach thousands. And, and it's not even just here in Diablo Valley. Time would fail me to tell of all the missionaries that this church has pooled together to support around the world to make Jesus known through the giving and offering of this church to say Jesus has done so much for us, we want others to know. And it's not even just through the giving. It's kids that have grown up here, met Jesus, been so compelled by him that they spend their lives making them known around the world. The impact of this church has been incredible. And church, in these things, God has made his greatness known. We have a great heritage as a church. And, and what I hope you can hear today um, is it is so great that you can't pin this on any one human. You can't say, now humans were involved. We all have a role to play. But this was not the predictable results of our ministry strategy. Like something has happened here that requires a God explanation. And if you're like, well, you're a pastor, of course you're going to say that. Well, let me read to you from a secular source about Fair Oaks Church, okay? This is from the Contra Costa Times in August of 1980. Here's how they, they kind of tell the story of Fair Oaks, and here is how they summarize it at the end, or kind of the big headline. I've got the article right here. Do you see it? The bottom line is God's. So it's not just me as a pastor who's predisposed to think this. This is a secular newspaper that's not out to preach Bible. They're reporting on the news, on a story. And as they get their facts, they're like, okay, this can't be explained by the people making cold calls. Um, because if that were a winning strategy, you would all have that extended warranty on your car they keep calling about. Um, cold calling is not uh, a bang-up strategy, and yet Jesus has done something in this place. The bottom line, it's his. It's not the cold calls. It's not the people that built the building over there. They did it with spit and duct tape. I'm just kidding. We're all up to code here, okay? The point is, this is not the predictable result of human ingenuity. This is the result of Jesus building his church and doing what he so often does in the scriptures using what seems foolish to the world like you and I to show off his greatness, power, grace, and glory. That is our heritage as a church. We have a great story as a church, and in its greatness, God has made his greatness known. We need only to say law on the story. We need only to reflect on it. And I would encourage you in the car ride home or on the dinner table to have this conversation like, what does this tell you about the nature and character of God? You can kind of do like the psalm. The psalmist says, well, this taught us that you're a refuge. What does our story teach you about God? Clearly that he wants to save and bring new lives. Okay, I'm not going to answer it for you. I'll leave that one to you in the Holy Spirit. In the greatness of this story, God has made his greatness known. But it's not just in the good times. 
If you look at verses 4 to 8, the psalmist says, For behold, the kings assembled together. They came on together. Um, This gets into something we see over and over and over again in the Old Testament scriptures. And that is um, just what I said earlier, that as the nation saw Israel flourishing, there's a part where the Old Testament says that silver was more common than copper back then. And so the nations would team up and say, hey, we want that for ourselves. And so the psalmist, this would happen, by the way, so often we don't know which occurrence it's talking about. But here's what we do know. The psalmist says there was a time where the kings assembled, meaning multiple empires allied together to try to take down Jerusalem, to try to take what the people of God had. Um, And so those citadels that you once felt pretty safe in, now when you see three armies team up, not feeling so good anymore. Um, And... I I would say this way. These were dark days in Israel. If you know your story of the Old Testament, this is where they're freaking out. This is where they're like, we're all going to die. These are the moments that he is writing about. It was a dark day in Israel. It's not the kind of thing you would think to write a psalm about. You would think like, let's write verses 1 to 3, 4 and 8. Let's leave those out. That wasn't very fun. But the psalmist recounts it because listen to what he says next. He says that you... You brought the east wind to fight them. You, you marshaled the very forces of creation, God, just when they could overcome the citadels you gave us, just when we thought, okay, it's finally too much. We're finally going to be destroyed. You roused up the forces of creation itself to push them back. You crushed their ships while they were still on the sea before they could even get like the big ramps here. You sunk them. What he's celebrating is um, just like in the story of the Exodus, you marshaled the forces of creation itself to protect your people. Here's the point in all of this. God doesn't just make his greatness known in the good times. He makes his greatness known in the hard times. In the time in Israel's history that they would rather not put it in the slideshow, the psalmist says, you've made your greatness known. Then when we were all freaking out, you marshaled creation and showed your mighty right hand, that you're the God of all creation, that there's nothing stronger than you, that if all the empires of the earth team up together, they are no match for our God. In the hard times of Israel's story, God has made his greatness known. And I would submit to you, it's the same here. If you've been a part of this church for any amount of time, you know that we've had our hard days here. Um, And I don't have a slideshow for this because this is so personal. I'm sure many of you have your own stories. Uh, We've had attacks um, from without where forces have attacked our church. We've had attacks from within where from our very own church, from our very own leadership, things have happened. And and I think, um, I guess I... I bring this up because it's in the text, but I, I love that God put it in the text because he doesn't want us to be surprised when the hard days come. That we have an enemy, that Satan hates us, that Jesus is building his church here, and Satan hates that. And the reason Jesus said the gates of hell won't uh, be able to stop it is because they're going to try. And Satan has attacked this church. He has fought this church. He has tried to stop this church. And so there have been dark days in the history of our church, just like Israel saw. But I would submit to you, when we say law and reflect on those dark days and begin to ask, God, what were you doing there? Like the psalmist, the Holy Spirit will show us how God has been at work, even in those difficult days. He's not just at work in the good times. That's right. Amen. He's at work in the hard times. 
And for those of you that have lived through it, you know. Now, I'm newer here. My experience is quite limited, but um, I've been here a year. I've seen some stuff. Haven't we all seen some stuff in the last year? Like, do you know that pestilence is actually one of the horses of the apocalypse? So, okay, we have one of the horses of the apocalypse, and then there was a presidential election that if I were writing the book, I'd put that last election as one of the horses of the apocalypse. And you have these forces. You want to talk about kings combining together to attack the city of God? How about pestilence and the 2020 presidential election trying to tear the church of Jesus Christ apart? And one of my favorite memories of this last year has been looking at um, uh, Biden voters and Trump voters standing side by side, lifting their hands in worship, singing the praises of Jesus. And I mean, like some of you are like, wait, someone voted for them here? Like the point is, we're not a monolith church. Like we have different perspectives and thoughts on all of these things. We're not together because it's easy and we all think the same. That can be explained on a human level. We're here because Jesus is building his church and he's pulling all kinds of people into this new humanity he's creating here. And, And I mean... When I look at how divided our country is, like I know many of you have lost friends in this last year over this stuff. Um, I think the fact that we haven't killed each other is evidence to the greatness of our God. <laughs> and I don't know who needs to hear this. Maybe, maybe you come in here discouraged. As you hear the story about the past and you're like, well, what in the world is he doing today? Did God fall asleep at the wheel? Um, I don't know who needs to hear this, but I would just encourage you with this. The fact that we haven't killed each other over the last year shows that Jesus is alive and well and working to sustain our church under pressure and forces that I think we'll only fully understand in glory when we hear the full story. Jesus has been at work sustaining this church this past year. I think possibly, again, my perspective's limited, but take it for what it's worth. I think some of the greatest evidence of his greatness has been made known in the fact that we are still here after the year we just had. And in the hard times, God has made his greatness known here. So, so that's the psalm so far, that in the good times God makes his greatness known, in the bad times God makes his greatness known, we need only reflect and selah, and we will see his greatness. So what do we do with that? What do we do if we can go, okay, God's at work here. I I believe it. Well, that's what the rest of the psalm is about. Let me read verse 9. He says, We have thought on your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple. That's where the presence of God is. So you can read that as your church where you are now. As your name, O God, so your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand, it's filled with righteousness. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Jerusalem rejoice because of your judgments. Walk about Zion. Go around her. Number her towers. Consider well her ramparts. Go through her citadels that you may tell the next generation that this God, this is God, this is our God forever and ever. He will guide us forever. That's what we do with it. All right, let's go. Um, A couple of words on this, and then we really are going to get to it. Um, What the psalmist says is remembering the works of God has two effects. Number one, it leads to greater praise. Um, When you see the greatness of God, the the back half of the psalm, there's rejoicing, there's joy, there's worship, there's praise going to the ends of the earth. The point is, when you see the greatness of God, you can't help but respond with praise. As humans, we're created to praise what we think is beautiful. And when we see the hand of God at work in our lives, we respond with praise. 
Um, look, I, I know I tell you this all the time, but that's because it's true and it's important that if you are struggling in your walk with Jesus, if you feel it hard to follow Jesus, if he feels like a taskmaster to you, if you come in here and you're like, well, I love that everyone else can lift their hands and praise, but I don't feel like praising today. If that's where you're at, the answer is not to try to white-knuckle your obedience, to pretend that you are more than you are, that you're not struggling, and just uh, try to, as hard as you can, hold on to what you know is the right thing. Biblically, the answer is to remember the gospel, to remember that what God has done for us, because our worship only wanes because we are forgetful people that forget what God has done. And so the answer isn't to white knuckle and go deeper into our strength and try to do something in our flesh. The answer is to look to the citadels, to look to the cross, to look what our great God has done for us, to remember who he is, because when we do, when we remember the works of God, it leads to true and renewed joy and praise in our life today. And when the psalmist says to Selah, to think on the words of God, I don't think he just means in giving Israel this really cool city with really big towers and a temple. Um, I don't even think this psalm is ultimately about you and I remembering the story of Pharaoh's church, though I think these are important and helpful things to do. Um, when you put this psalm in the greater context of the Bible, the call to think on the works of God, um, what that means is to ultimately remember that God giving Israel Jerusalem, that Jesus building his church at Fair Oaks, these are only pieces in a much larger story about a gracious and good God redeeming his broken creation. And, and this is the good news um, that though we have all sinned and daily fall short of the good design that God has made us for, um, God's response to our sin and rebellion is to love us so much to send his only son in the, into the world to do what we could not, even in the great city of Jerusalem with all of its benefits. If you know the story of the Bible, they're going to sing about how great Jerusalem is, and then they're going to sin and do more evil than the nations around them because they're humans. And the problem isn't what nation you belong to. The problem is if you're a human, you're broken and you need God to make you new. And that's why, just like Israel fails, just like you and I fail, that's why God sends Jesus into the world to do what Israel never could do, to live a holy human life, to live um, exactly as he has designed you and I to operate, to live a life of goodness, to push back evil and darkness, to uh, fight for love and justice and goodness. And after showing us what life is meant to be, Jesus's response is not, okay, that's the model. Your turn. Go for it. Good luck. Like every other religion in the world that says, okay, here's the model. Try harder. Jesus goes to the cross and he dies in our place for all the ways that we would fail to live for what God has made us for. And he rises again three days later, victorious over Satan, sin, and death. And he says, whoever will trust in me, your sin has been paid for. So it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you're struggling with. It doesn't matter what people are saying about you. My word over you is forgiven, loved, whole, and free. And if you believe that gospel, you can become a part of my new humanity I'm creating now called the church. That is the true city of God that is going to make my righteousness that's his rightness, his justice, his mercy, and beauty known to the ends of the earth in a world that is longing for it. And that is the good news 
that this church was started on. That is the good news that has sustained this church, that has driven this church, and that is the only news that is worth centering our church around going forward. And when you believe this gospel, the only response that possibly makes sense is praise. To say, are you kidding me that you love me like that after the week I just had? Yes, I will love you and follow you. Let's go. But then the psalmist says, it not only leads to greater praise, but he says it leads to joining the story. And, and, and I'm... I feel, I feel like I need to say this again on the point of praise, that this is why the psalmist is encouraging us to say law on the works of God. Because you and I were a forgetful people. And so we don't just need to hear this once every 65 years. This is why we gather together as a church every weekend to recount the story of the gospel, to remember what God has done for us. This isn't something you just need once a week. This is why um, we're going to have groups that are really designed to help you recount the story of the gospel in your everyday life. That we're forgetful people. We need to say law daily on the works of God because when we do, we will find a greater joy and praise in his name. Not just Sundays, but Mondays to Fridays. And this is why, by the way, I've been so eager to celebrate today. Because we not only want to recount the story of the gospel, which is the big story, we want to recount this thread in the story that is Fair Oaks Church. Because I think what the story of this church does us is it reminds us that story of Jesus, it's not a fairy tale, but it is real and it is at work in our very midst around us. The story of Fair Oaks is great because it points to the greater story of Jesus and shows that he really meant it, that he really did rise from the dead, that he really is building his church. The gates of hell really have tried, but they haven't been able to stop it. That Jesus is alive, that this is what I mean by a God-sized vision for our church. That we would be a church that looks to the cross and says, this is our God. We're so safe in his arms. What could possibly harm us? We've got better citadels than Jerusalem ever had. We have the arms of Christ that are pierced for our transgressions, and no power of darkness can claim us from that. And to look through the history of our church, just like the psalmist says, walk around the city, recount all of the towers. To look over the proverbial history of this church and count all of the, the proverbial towers of how Jesus has been at work in this community. To remember that he didn't fall asleep at the wheel in the first century. That he's not just waiting to maybe come back someday and make all things new, but doing nothing in between. But to remember that new creation is on the march even now. And when you remember this gospel, that this is our God. Mighty and strong and gracious and kind. Then when you remember that gospel, it not only leads to greater praise, but it enables you to join in the story. And that's the second thing the psalmist says about our response to the works of God. He says our praise, it's going to reach the ends of the earth. He said it's going to move us to tell the next generations about the goodness of God. In other words, um, remembering the works of God is going to lead to greater praise, but then it's also going to spill out to the people around us, beyond the borders of the city, to where people who don't yet know Jesus meet Jesus. To the next generation that's not yet born yet, that maybe is, uh, were in here worshiping with us earlier, can come and meet Jesus here. And see, there's a natural link here between praise and what we would call in the church today mission. And the natural mission, uh, connection is this. You, you love to tell people about what you love, right? 
And, and so in the same way here, as our remembering leads to deeper worship in our lives, as our lives begin to change and this community begins to take on a different shape and life because of what Jesus is doing here, um, we're going to talk about it when we spread out throughout the week. And then uh, newspapers like the Contra Costa Times are going to look at it and go, okay, we've got to send a reporter over there. We don't understand what's going on. But um, now that we've gotten all the facts, it doesn't add up. So the bottom line must be God. That, that's how this thing is supposed to operate. That that's Jesus' purpose in leaving us here. I don't know how often you think this uh, about this, but he could have just saved you and zapped you straight to the new creation, the eternal state, instantly upon saving you. But he didn't for a reason. That he, after saving us, plans to work in us and as he works in our lives and transforms us to understand more and more of what he has done for us. He begins to work through us in the world around us so that more and more of this valley might join into the eternal song of his praises. Um, but you're going to have to come back next week to hear more about that. I just realized I'm starting to preach next week. For now, what we're going to do is we're going to respond to the work of God in our story. And we're going to do that by letting this psalm once, one last time be our guide this morning. Uh, we're going to hear... Uh, some very personal stories of how God's been at work here. I gave you the big sketch. Uh, we've got a video now where we're going to hear personal stories of how that has impacted people's lives on the ground. Um, and after we hear those stories, we're going to sing God's praises. And my hope is that the Holy Spirit would help us to say law on those stories, to um, remember what he has done here in such a way that would inspire a greater worship in us that we would leave here differently this morning. And my hope is that this wouldn't be the end this morning, um, that as you go out these doors and have cake and celebrate, my hope is that um, for those of you that have been here, you might share your story of how God's been at work in your life here. And that as we recount that, we might drive home worshiping in the car. So if someone cuts us off, we'll be like, oh, I'm already worshiping, so you're not going to get me today, Satan. Um, and my, my hope and my deepest prayer for this church is that this rhythm of remembering the works of God and praising his name for it and seeing God change the world through our lives of praise might take over our lives as we go forward from here and might define the next 65 years of this church. That, that more and more of this valley might come to know his praises and that in 65 years from now we could recount even more chapters in the story. But for now, I'm going to pray for us. We're going to watch this video, then we're going to sing his praises. We're going to eat cake. It'll be awesome. Father, you are a good God. You are a great God. In, in the, as I look at the story of this church and have been blown away, that I just want to say to you that in the greatness of this story, your greatness is known. That everything beautiful and good we have experienced here is ultimately an expression of your greatness. And so I pray that as we uh, hear some very personal stories about um, how you've worked through this church by the power of your Holy Spirit to reveal your son Jesus, I pray that your spirit would be at work afresh in this room this morning, that we might say law on what you've done, that your spirit would give us insight like the psalmist to understand the true depth and importance of what you've been doing here, how you have done this, how the bottom line is you, that your son Jesus is building his church so that we might not um, leave here today remembering the glory days and go, oh, I wish we were in the glory days, but that we might leave here today going, this is our God, and if he's done it in the past, he could do it again today. Would you help us to worship in spirit and truth this morning? In the beautiful name of Jesus, I ask. Amen.